Christensen talked about on this show, and I've read a little articles on it uh, as well, is that testing centers aren't necessarily always accurate. There's false positives, and there's simply just misinformation with testing. You had the one incident, although it's not been fully proven on Twitter yet, because it is Twitter, it could have been totally made up, but it doesn't seem like it. it the possibility of it getting made up would be... Uh, very good or very good state. I don't know how you would word it, but essentially the the Twitter guy said that his dad was in line for getting tested, but had to leave. And the testing center sent him saying that he tested positive when he physically never got tested. So if these testing centers are mishandling their information are simply causing everyone to be positive or more people to be positive than there are, it's something that is very dangerous and very concerning. And I'll also read um, Lartris Wing, and I apologize if I didn't read your name right, right, but he says, Dim spread COVID-19 with Lunar New Year parades and righteous burn loot spreads COVID-19 with their Black Friday sale, but Dim shamelessly blamed Trump in indicting salons. Exactly, says Ron. Exactly, Lartris Wing. And by the way, hi, uh, Lotteris Wing. I, man, I am butchering that. I apologize. Uh, but that was, that's a big thing what I'm about to talk into. I think if you, if you don't trust the mass media at all, I think this next example with the spike in Tulsa and little evidence suggesting as the next article I'm about to read through to just in general protest, then this will give you a reason to not trust the media. And when I say media, I'm talking about any mass media. And that's why I think it's very important that you read both CNN and Fox or read both left and read both right. Because as my tagline to my podcast is, most often the middle is right. Most often the middle of what Fox and CNN are saying is right. So the spike in Tulsa might be true, but it's also because the protest. So the protest having no rise in cases, but Trump's rally having rise in cases obviously seems a little bit weird. And I'm going to kind of get into that as well. As it says, spike in Tulsa after Trump rally. In Oklahoma, health officials in the city of Tulsa said President Trump's campaign rally there last month and the protest that took place at the same time likely contributed to spike in the cases locally. In the past few days, we have seen 500 new cases and we have several large events just over two weeks ago, so I guess we just connected dots, so, so Tulsa City Council Health Department Director Dr. Bruce Dart said. The Trump campaign has not yet commented, Mean- and the Trump campaign has commented now, and Ed talked about it on his show uh, this morning, I believe it was this morning, uh, about basically the guidelines that Trump's rally had. They offered masks, although many people declined. They also had plenty of hand sanitizer available, and they also implemented safety precautions within how many guests were allowed at the rally. So they did a lot of things to make sure that this uh, coronavirus wouldn't spread due to a public event that was larger than 10 people. But these riots, as I'm about to talk about, didn't have anything relating to it because of what? Did they have hand sanitizer? Did they have masks? Like, what's the difference here? It's very, it's almost very aggravating that somebody could simply say that coronavirus, the only thing that coronavirus cares about is what political party you're a part of. That doesn't make any sense. 
and I'll continue here. Meanwhile, two prestigious universities in the U.S. are taking legal action against the government over an immigration rule they say will force, force international students to leave the country. And that's not particularly related to, to what I want to talk about here, so I'll go on to my next article. And this article made me very, very aggravated when I, was, when I saw it on Ed's uh, channel. And when I also saw it on uh, uh, reading it myself. But as you can see from this video, if you're watching live and it's re-downloading, I guess, now. Here we go. You can see a lot of people are wearing masks on these protests. Not that that necessarily really helps. But at the same time, you see a lot of people in this video that are simply just not wearing masks. And in a second here, you're going to see a guy eating a hamburger. There he is right there without his mask. And then now they're showing an overview of all these protesters very, 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 very close together with, you know, cars in between. Not that that really matters. Holding signs. And these people being that close together, mask or no mask, is obviously something where if you look and you don't take politics into account ever. So if you say, if you do take politics into account, let's, let's just say as a thought experiment, you call this street protest or this... Uh, idea of whatever this event was from a Trump rally and Trump was at the end of the street ready to speak to everybody similar to like what the pro-life rallies are in Texas and near Austin or in Austin actually you would say oh yeah these people are definitely going to have a surge in COVID look how close they are to each other regardless if they're if wearing masks at all and this is just one example of what is happening but if you take politics not into account and say that this is just a Black Lives Matter protest of George Floyd's death oh yeah no 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 there's not going to be any protests and or, or sorry there's not going to be any COVID and obviously that just sounds absurd and COVID doesn't care, as I've said earlier, what political party you're a part of. So that's something that is very aggravating when I'm going to read this article and talk about some representatives uh, and their dots from George Floyd's death and all these protesters and looting and uh, just violence in general that is more directive of sharing your DNA with someone else. It, like like I've already said again, and I just want to repeat it just to make it absolutely 100% clear, a virus, a epidemic, doesn't care if you even want to call it epidemic, doesn't want to care, doesn't care about what political party you're a part of. And I know I'm getting a little bit more one-sided in this viewpoint, but I don't even think there is another side to it because coronavirus doesn't care. And the fact that these protests besides a Trump rally isn't going to cause a surge doesn't make any sense but I'll continue on there is little evidence that the protesters protests that erupted after George Floyd's death have caused a significant increase in the US coronavirus infections according to public health experts if the protest had driven an explosion in cases, experts say, the jumps would have started to become apparent within two weeks, and perhaps as early as five days. But it didn't happen in many cities with the largest protests, including New York, Chicago, Minneapolis, and Washington, D.C. <laughs> Excuse me. In what's considered the first systemic look at the question, a term economists determined that only one of 13 cities involved in the earliest wave of protests after Memorial Day had an increase that would fit the pattern. It was Phoenix, 
where experts say cases and ho hospitalizations surge after a decision by Governor Doug Ducey to end Arizona's stay-at-home order on May 15th and ease restrictions on businesses. Arizona residents who were chopped up for six weeks followed the Arizona area bars districts ignoring social distancing guidelines. In many cities, the protests actually seem to lead to a net increase in social distancing as more people who did not protest decided to stay off streets, said that study lead author Daphel Dave of Bentley University. The large-scale protest can impact both the behavior and the protesters and the behavior of the non-protesters. The paper was released last week by the National Bureau of Economic Research and has not yet been published has not yet been published by a peer review journal and you could have your debate on the peer review status of something a lot of peer review has gone under scrutiny over if it's actually been reviewed for the right reasons but the fact that it hasn't been peer reviewed and simply just given as a truth and declared by many mass media websites as fact doesn't really seem to add up and I would argue that any sort of common sense looks at this issue, as I've said, and sees those protests and, and having a surge and thinks, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, COVID, mm-hmm. And then a Trump rally then causes COVID. And I argue if you take Trump out of it and just say a rally and it causes a surge, a lot of people would be like, okay, that makes sense. People are closer together and not necessarily following as safety protocols as fully as they should. But at the same time, it's your freedom of speech or whatever else you might want to say. And then, so the fact that there's just no increase doesn't make any sense. And I'm going to move on to my next topic before I get too angry. But I, it just makes no sense to me the fact that people are looking at this study and this peer-reviewed aspect and saying, or not peer-reviewed aspect, and saying that, Oh, yeah, you know, just because it was a Trump rally, more people are getting infected. Politics doesn't matter. It's a disease. If you're being close together is simply one way of getting it. And these protests, regardless of what motives they're for, are one way of getting closer. Therefore, a surge would might be suspected. And if a surge didn't happen, then the disease might not be as potent as we thought before. But you could argue that all day long. And before I move on to... Uh, this next article kind of talking about it. I'll read some comments here. Lotteris said, Who said no need for travel restrictions? All the human trafficking with EU borders, February 9th, 2020, led to COVID-19 hotspots. Who said, who, World Health Organization, said, Healthy, healthy don't need masks. April 1st, appearing news, China to Europe to NYC. They stole, and then Ed says, they stole the hand sanitizer and used it as fuel to burn the Taj. <laughs> and then Lolera says, ever heard of Tom Clancy, the division game? The dollar flu virus spread during Black Friday. Them's riders burn loop Friday, Black Friday sale. They block transporters in, in streets. They destroy stores. Ron Helton says, yes, we are experiencing other madness at the hands of maniacs. And then Jay Edgar says, I have it. The only Clancy game I've ever played is Pelotiga. And I probably butchered that too. I am the worst with names. And thank you, Ron, for all the sticker parties on, on DLive. I really uh, enjoy that. 
it adds very much to the content <laughs> makes me laugh but this covid stuff especially political covid stuff is something that gets on gets on my nerves and as i can see even a comic session also gets on the nerves of those who are watching right now and probably those that are going to watch in the future because as I've already said, I think this is now like the fifth time, politics, or sorry, coronavirus doesn't care about your politics. But as AP News says, health official, Trump rally likely source of virus surge. President Donald Trump's campaign rally in Tulsa in late June that drew thousands of participants and large protests likely contributed to a dramatic surge in new coronavirus cases in Tulsa City County Health Department, Dr. Bruce, as we already heard. Tulsa County reported 261 confirmed new cases on Monday, a one-day record high, and another 206 cases on Tuesday. By comparison, during the week before the June 20th Trump rally, there were 76 cases on Monday and 96 on Tuesday. Although the Health Department policy is not to publicly identify individual settings, where people may have contracted the virus, Dart said those large gatherings more than likely contributed to the spike. In the past few days, we have seen almost 500 new cases, and we have had several large events just over two and have had, or sorry, and we have had several large events just over two weeks ago. So I guess we can just connect the darts. Dart said. So those articles kind of say the same thing, but I'll continue on for a little bit more. Trump's Tulsa rally, his first since the coronavirus pandemic hit in the U.S., attracted thousands of people from around the country. About 6,200 people gathered inside a 19,000-seat BOK Center arena. And I hate to steal Ed's joke, but I was listening this morning and I thought it was rather funny that he mentioned this. And I didn't catch it when I was reading the article with him. But it was like in a 19,000 seat. So it's like why even put that on on your article when you just kind of want to rub in the fact that he can't fill stadiums. Look, Trump is falling. People don't like him as much. It's just kind of a rather funny side thing to put in. And you could argue, well, well, they just want to put the capacity. But I think that's rather absurd. So I hate to steal your joke from this morning, Ed. But I thought I would include it in mine as well just because it was rather uh, funny and I didn't catch it the first time. But I'll continue. Dart had urged the campaign to consider pushing back the date of the rally, fearing a political surge in the number of coronavirus cases. Trump campaign spokesperson Tim Rickthaw said the campaign went to great lengths to ensure that those who attended the rally were protected. There were literally no health precautions to speak of thousands looted, rioted, and protested in the streets, and the media reported that it did not lead to a rise in coronavirus cases. McLaw said in his statement, Meanwhile, the president rally was 18 days ago. All attendees had their temperature checked, everyone was provided a mask, and there was plenty of hand sanitizer available for all. It's obvious that the media's concern about large gatherings begins and ends with Trump rallies, he said. Although masks were provided to rallygoers, there was no requirement that participants to wear them, and most didn't. A reporter who attended the Trump rally is among those who have tested positive for COVID-19, along with six of Trump's campaign staffers and two members of the Secret Service who worked in advance of the rally. And you could read all the rest of the article in the description if you want as well, but I think we kind of covered between those two articles the main points with Trump rally and the potential surge. And you had from his spokesperson with Trump saying that, 
basically in his own way that uh, just because there's a spike doesn't necessarily mean that there wasn't a spike from the regular protesters under George Floyd names and Black Lives Matter movement, as I've kind of already said, but I feel like we're kind of beating the drum at this point. So I'll move on to my next article, but I'll quickly go over some comments uh, as well before we continue. As Lorder has said, Taiwan, New Zealand, Japan, all this about who... China by doing travel restrictions and wear masks early. They also today still allow dining salons. San Francisco Mayor London Braid is stupid by lame in dining. Mayors and supervisors don't pay taxes but enjoy taxpayer funded health care with pensions. They let rioters burn loot but still going up cost of living to tax you so that they can get so that they can do graffiti. Dabasio spread COVID-19 by Lunar New Year parades and rioters. Dems used thugs to break glass of businesses during irrigation. Release criminals under the excuse of COVID-19. Mandate nursing homes. No precaution. And then Ron says, Tulsi is a liberal disaster area. What did they expect? He might as well tried to fill a stadium in Austin, Texas, another liberal disaster area. And that's a, another point that Ron was kind of mentioning. The fact that, this, that the capacity of the stadium was even mentioned, and as Ed stated in his video, is rather odd, and I don't necessarily see as a point to even be really discussed. And the fact that he was able to fill it that much is rather surprising due to the area of which the rally was being placed in. And as he mentioned through in Texas with Austin, Austin is known for its uh, liberal, although it's the capital of uh, Texas, which is rather bizarre uh, to most of how Texans, you know, view uh, government or whatever else. But anyway, you get the point. But Lorderus is on fire with his comments there. And I don't necessarily think that I disagree with really any of his points. I don't necessarily know if the Democrats are pushing for rioters. But at the same time, the media isn't necessarily saying that these riots are necessarily bad. And more endorsing these protesters and saying that protesters should continue because the movement is more important. So I do think that I kind of agree with Lorderus more than I disagree. I don't really disagree with him much at all. So I do agree with um, your comments, and I'll continue to the next one. And ironically, this next article is about who, the World Health Organization that you uh, mentioned earlier in your comments. So this article was by The Hill, and the, uh, the uh, title reads, Trump administration moves to formally withdraw the U.S. from who? <clears throat> the White House has officially moved to withdraw the United States from the World Health Organization. A senior administration official confirmed Tuesday, breaking ties with the global public health body in the middle of the coronavirus pandemic. The U.S. has submitted its withdrawal notification to the United Nations Secretary General, the official said. Withdrawal requires a year's notice, so it will go into effect until July 6, 2021, raising the, the possibility the decision could be revised. 
Senator Bob Mendez, the top Democrat on the Senate Foreign Regulation, or sorry, Foreign Relations Committee, tweeted that the administration informed Congress of the withdrawal plans. To call Trump's response to COVID chaotic and incoherent doesn't do it justice. Justice. This won't protect America's lives or interests. It leaves America sick and alone. In America alone, the senator tweeted. The formal notifications of withdrawal concludes months of threats from the Trump administration to pull the United States out of WHO, which is affiliated with the United Nations. President Trump has repeatedly assaulted the organization for alleged bias towards China and its slow response to the coronavirus outbreak in Wuhan. But public health experts and Democrats have raised alarms that his decision may be short-sighted and could undercut the global response to the pandemic, which has affected 11.6 billion, sorry, 11.6 million people worldwide. The U.S. has the highest number of reported cases in the world at nearly 3 million. So before I move on, I thought I would just quickly talk about uh, the senator's tweet. And simply to put it as simple as a leaving America alone with who is rather bizarre and I don't necessarily think is a very educated opinion uh, of the perspective. You could argue that Trump's response of COVID isn't necessarily as well, but it's hard to live in an alternative universe where anyone else has responded to it and how might the former president of Obama have responded to a worldwide pandemic such as coronavirus. And I would like to see anybody's uh, response of what they might think uh, President Obama would have done or an alternative universe with Hillary Clinton might have done in response to all this COVID stuff. But I just don't think that it's really as simple as the senator is making it look like. But I'll continue. They have also argued that some of whose initial missteps can be attributed to China's lack of transparency in the early stages of the outbreak. I disagree with the President's decision, Senate Committee on Health, Education, Labor, and Pensions Chair Lamar Alexander, Republican Tennessee, said in a statement. Certainly, there needs to be a good look at the mistakes the World Health Organization might have made in connection with the coronavirus, but the time to do it that is after the crisis has been dealt with, not in the middle of it. The president first froze funding for WHO in April, while his administration conducted a review of its relationship with the entity weeks later. He wrote to WHO demanding reforms, but did not specifically, but but did not specifically what those refunds would be. That seems like a mis mistype. But Trump announced at the end of May the U.S. was terminating the ties with WHO. So that's kind of where I wanted to stop with this one, and I think it's very important to view the reaction of what who did with coronavirus and I don't want to stick too long with COVID-19 because again it's inundated all around us and most of the news is directly related to COVID and I don't necessarily think that a lot of people are wanting to hear about COVID as it's uh, inundated around their life but who is the thing I most the thing I most dislike about Who is their constant changing of what they said to do. And a lot of people, and I've looked into it briefly, but I don't necessarily have a full opinion of, 
But essentially, who didn't really view this as a threat as early as they could have. And you could argue that they don't have the vision of the future, so they can't necessarily predict something when it has yet to happen, obviously. But at the same time, a threat like a pandemic and something that could have been as huge as was projected to be should have been uh, addressed a little bit more early on in the whole advisement of what their role is as an organization. So who is something that is, I don't know so much, I don't know a lot about, but I definitely think that they were wanting to either kind of hide information from the public due to try to keep everyone calm or more darker motives behind what happened. But I'll move on to this AP article as well by Colin Blinkley, and it's about Trump wanting to reopen schools. I talked about it on the previous article, and this one mentions a little bit of the same stuff, but also a little bit different. So I'll read some of what Trump directly said about wanting to reopen schools, with Pence being the director or the main uh, member of the task force uh, relating to it. So President Donald Trump on Tuesday launched an all-out effort pressing state and local officials to reopen schools this fall arguing that some are keeping schools closed not because of the risk of the coronavirus pandemic, but for political reasons. They think it's going to be good for them politically, so they keep their schools closed, Trump said at the White House discussion on school plans for the fall. No way. We are very much going to put pressure on government, governors and everybody else to open the schools. The White House roundtable gathered health and education leaders, from across the nation who said schools and colleges are ready to open this fall and can do safely. They argue that the risk of keeping students at home outweigh any risk tied to coronavirus, saying students need access to meal programs and mental and behavioral health services. We want to reopen the schools, Trump said. Everybody wants it. The, the moms want it. The dads want it. The kids want it. It's time to do it. But the bright outlook was met with skepticism by some beyond the White House. The president of the nation's largest education union said Trump is more interested in scoring points for the November election than keeping students safe. Trump has proven to be incapable of grasping that people are dying, that more than 130,000 Americans have already died, said Lily Lily Gazzara. I'm not even going to try. President of the National Education Association. Educators want nothing more to be back in the classroom and on college campuses with their students. But we must do it in a way that keeps students, educators, and communities safe. At the White House event, Trump repeated his claim that the Democrats want to keep schools closed for political reasons and not health reasons. He made the same claim on Twitter a day before, saying they think it will help them in November. Wrong. The people get it. Trump offered no evidence for the allegation, which has been criticized by health experts, who say politicizing the issue will make it harder to work towards reopening schools. Jennifer Nuzzo of John Hopkins University COVID-19 Testing Institute Insights Initiative said she was deeply troubled by the claim. So again, coronavirus is already as hard as it needs to be due to its just its simple impact it's had. Even if you don't think that it's really as big as the media is wanting it to appear, you could still see that coronavirus has had an impact on your life, even if you've lived under a rock 
But at the same time, trying to make coronavirus political is something that is simply just wrong. And you could argue that Trump might have made coronavirus a little more political than it had to. But anything Trump says gets criticized by the media. So Trump could 100% say that coronavirus is the biggest issue and he would still get criticized by the media. So instead, Trump has stuck to what he's always stuck to, and that's what he what he wants to say, even if a lot of people don't think that what he wants to say should be said, because it's more of an internal dot, and a lot of people keep their internal dots to themselves for obvious reasons. But he's the president, and he's won, a lot of people say, on his bullish factor, and that he's not afraid to say what he thinks and say what's on his mind, even if that some people say that's his greatest downfall. And that's one of the big things with Trump. And Trump wanting to reopen schools makes a lot of sense. But at the same time, trying to make the decision purely political doesn't make sense. Coronavirus is important, but at the rate that people are dying from coronavirus. So I don't want to disvalue anybody who has died from coronavirus or are seriously injured and might die from coronavirus. Coronavirus is a big issue and something that does need to be talked about and thinked about but at the same time Trump needs to be careful in his response to wanting to open schools but at the same time the only way to think about how schools might open is to talk about it and simply talking about how schools might open isn't political and more starting a discussion and that's kind of how I view this issue so simply saying that his comments are hurtful is kind of wrong and saying that Democrats want to keep their kids away from school might also be a little bit wrong but you could argue that they're wanting to make the situation political in that perspective but I'll continue on to my next topic here with maybe one of your favorite senators Ilhan Omar but at, but I'll first take a uh, drink break and check the comments alrighty so this one is by the uh, Daily Caller, as it says, Ilhan Omar calls for dismantling of the U.S. economy, political system. Democratic represent our Demo Democratic Minnesota representative Ilhan Omar called for the dismantling of the U.S. economy and political system Tuesday. As long as our economy and political systems prioritize profit without considering who is profiting who is being shut down. We will perpetuate this inequality, Omar said. We cannot stop at criminal justice system. We must begin at the work of dismantling the whole system of oppression whether we find it, wherever we find it. Omar held an event Tuesday in her home state of Minnesota with members of the Minnesota People of Color and Indigenous Caucus. Omar tweeted earlier, Tuesday that the purpose of this event was to address racism in policy in the aftermath of George Floyd's death. And this is a tweet from Representative Ilhan Omar. As she says, the murder of George Floyd reawakened calls to address racism in policy and reforming our political, our, sorry, reform our criminal justice system. I am live with leaders of the Minnesota People of Color and Indigenous Caucus to discuss our work to make systematic changes on Facebook now. Omar has joined calls from local Democratic leaders to defund the police after four Minnesota officer, police officers were filed 
were fired and, and charged in connection to Floyd's death. The Minneapolis City Council unanimously voted to get rid of the city police department in June. Omar said, Omar said she supported the vote because she believes the Minneapolis Police Department is beyond reform. You cannot re really reform a department that is rotten to the root, Omar said at it, the time. What you can do is rebuild, and so, and so this is our opportunity, you know, a city to come together and have the conversation of what public safety looks like, who endorses the most dangerous crimes who take place in our community. So again, as I men mentioned a little bit with Alyssa Minato about wanting to reform the police system, you could simply just ask, what might replace police? And I don't necessarily have an answer for that. And I wanted to include this article to give a perspective on what Ilhan Omar was doing. And I don't necessarily think that what Ilhan Omar is saying is 100% correct. And defunding the police can lead to several outcomes that I don't think are great for the community that the police try to protect. And I think that's kind of already been talked about, but I more wanted to read this article and share her thoughts as I thought it was still pertinent to an earlier topic we talked about. But this next one is, again, back to Trump and the ongoing issue of his impact or his role in Russia. And Trump has obviously been a controversial figure within this Russia movement and has been has been attempted to get in, a, impeached. Uh, man, that's handful. Has... People have attempted to get him impeached over his impact with now really Ukraine and Russia. But I'll quickly read on, on this article. Representative Seth Moulton, a former Marine cops officer, accused President Trump of treason on Wednesday over reports that Russia paid bounties to Afghan fighters to kill American soldiers and the White House took no, response, no action in response. Moulton, a former platoon commander in Iraq, said if he led his Marines into an ambush because he failed to read an intelligence report, he would be in prison. The, the, the Minneapolis Democrat questioned, why can I say, the Massachusetts, sorry, the Massachusetts Democrat questioned why the commander-in-chief is not held to the same standard. It is not treason that I don't know what it is, Moulton said Wednesday on a House Democrat caucus call with reporters. If I led my Marines into an ambush because I didn't bother to read the intelligence report I was given, that said, he, that said we would get ambushed there, I would be tweeting that it wasn't my fault because I didn't read the report. I would be in prison, Moulton said. The comments from Moulton, who had a short-lived 2020 presidential run, came as the Democrats have ranked up the rhetoric against Trump over the Russian bounty reports and demanded more answers from the White House about the intelligence assessment and first reported by the New York Times that a Russia military unit paid bounties to Taliban-linked fighters to kill coalition troops in Afghanistan. The White House has pushed back on reporting saying Trump was not aware of the bounty program and intelligence officials didn't tell him because there was no conscience within the initial within the intel community of the alleged plot. Trump dismantled the reporting as a hoax. The Russian bounty story is just another made up fake news tell that is only to damage me and the Republican Party, Trump tweeted.
the New York Times reported that the information about the bounty program was provided to Trump in his daily written brief in late February. This intelligence was taken seriously enough that it prompted an interesty meeting with the National Security Council in late March and U.S. officials shared the information with the British government, whose forces were also believed to have been targeted by Russian bounties, the Times reported. It has been reported, however, that Trump does not read the detailed presidential brief regularly and is more often briefed on intelligence issues verbally. Trump's national security advisor, Robert O'Brien, told Fox and Friends Wednesday that the CIA officer who briefed the president decided not to tell the commander-in-chief that Russia was allegedly playing bounties to kill U.S. troops. The intelligence community does not have a conscience, and as a result, the president's career CIA briefer decided not to brief him because it was undervaluing intelligence, O'Brien said. And by the way, she is an outstanding officer and knowing all the facts I know, I certainly support her decision. Trump 2020 Democrat challenger Joe Biden argued that the president failed in, it, failed in his duties whether he, he knew or didn't know of the bounty intelligence. The idea that someone he didn't know is duration of duty if, if that's the case. The former vice president said Tuesday in his first press conference in nearly three months. And if he was briefed and he didn't do anything about the deceleration of duty. Moulton's comments, however, have been further as he essentially accused Trump of being responsible for the deaths of U.S. service members in Afghanistan. The New York Times said investigators are reviewing at least two deadly attacks on American soldiers in Afghanistan for suspected links to the bounties. One is on April 2019 bombing outside of a or Bagman Air Base that killed three Marines. Sergeant Staff, Staff Sergeant Christopher Sputman, 43, Corporal Robert A. Hendricks, 25, and Sergeant Benjamin S. Haynes, 31. The second attack was not identified. And I'll read Ron's comments here as he says, I seriously doubt that there is any bounty that is more electric election mirroring before the November election. The media is crap crap in this country. The New York Slime Times is the worst offender. They still keep saying that the Russian influenced the 2016 elections with partly few thousands of dollars. Show me that they physically changed votes or they should shut the hell up. I agree, I agree that a lot of mass media, and that's why Freedom Scoop was is made and I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast and the episode here. And that's why I try to give my perspective on issues and others like Ed and, and Generational Gap and Already Conservative and them try to give their impact as well to all these issues. And mass media, especially now, tends to just want their agenda to get passed and all their motives relating to it. In this event, if true, is obviously very big against Trump. But at the same time, I don't think that Trump is the one to blame for this, as said by the CIA officer. And you could say that the CIA officer is backing up for Trump because he is the president. But at the same time, I don't. I think right now it's very popular to go against Trump. And so even if the person's job is to inform Trump, he, you would think that they, if they were to have a motive to go against them, they might. 
just because it's so popular and it will get so much attention. Essentially, they would be a, a, a martyr for their cause. That's something that I think a lot of people are, are attempting to do within the party. And you could say that this molten guy might be that person that's trying to get it to happen. But to physically or to, to verbally blame the president for something that you don't know is 100% true is rather interesting and a rather a bizarre thing to have happen even if you disagree with what the president excuse me what the president has to say but i didn't want to spend too much time on this and uh we'll go on to this next one here and this one is of the good old biden and we all know my man biden and he has uh recently said that uh okay restart he biden has come up and mentioned about uh that he doesn't support Trump's claims with uh, the Supreme Court. And recently, Biden, or sorry, recently Trump was wanting to uh, release his new names for potential Supreme Court representatives in case one of them were to uh, retire or more likely probably pass away. And Biden wanted to respond to this issue. So I was going to play this video for you, and hopefully you'll be able to hear it well if everything is working right. And on another issue that's been in the news last week, this week, probably next week, the Supreme Court. The president says he's going to issue an updated list of potential nominees to the court. You have said you would put a black woman on the court should a spot open up. But there are groups calling for you to release a list of specific names you put on the court. Are you going to do that? One thing I hesitate to do is follow anything the president does at all because he usually does it all wrong. Um, I have, we are putting together a list of a group of African-American women who are qualified and have the experience to be in the court. I am not going to release that until we go further down the line of vetting them as well. So that was Biden's comments over potentially having a black woman of color, obviously black as the color, being a representative uh, for the Supreme Court or simply being a Supreme Court justice. And obviously, that is a common theme within, you would say, the Democratic Party. They are essentially wanting a person of color, mainly a woman of color, uh, preferably to be a representative or to become the next president. The Democrats ran several people of color, according Cory Booker, Kamala Harris, and you could even, well, Kamala Harris and Cory Booker being the main two, I would say. But none of them went super far within the presidential race with ultimately Biden winning the Democratic race. Or, not sorry, the Democratic race, not the presidential race. But you get what I'm saying. And a lot of people are speculating that, although this isn't related directly to the Supreme Court, that Biden might pick someone of color and probably a woman to be his vice president for this presidential race against Trump and most likely Mike Pence. And a lot of people are saying that Biden is going to do that simply based off of the fact that it's a person of color and something the Democratic Party wants to be stand for. Because in general, the Democratic Party wants to be seen as the party for minorities and has always said that they're the party for minorities. But a lot of people might see it as pandering if Biden were to do so and if Biden were to release his list as of now with a black woman of color. But at the same time, it would make history. 
And all this article says is what was directly said in the video, so I'm not going to read the quotes again, but I thought I would just kind of quickly mention that as a whole debate over Biden because there isn't really that much going on with Biden right now. Although he's come out a little bit more publicly, he's not really done so much so far. And as in majority stayed quiet, although he's had a few things on his YouTube channel where if you ever want a few laughs, you should probably check out because he's definitely a gaff machine even on his own YouTube channel and his own live streams. But I would dot. I would read uh, Ron's comments here. Hashtag bumbling Biden. Vote blue, no matter the sh the shrew. <laughs> Vote Biden. Let your mind take you away. Honestly, that would probably be a good Biden shirt. Vote. And then Ron says, virtual signaling uh, is all the Democrats are good at. And again, that is one hundred percent true. Because a lot of times, as I've kind of said, the Democratic Party is trying to show themselves as being the party for minorities. But I think it's become even more obvious that the Democratic Party's main motives are essentially wanting someone to be of color and pandering to minorities. And I think a lot of blacks, especially because they tend to target the black poor type of population, are starting to see through it. But you could argue that uh, the Democrats might have uh, been that way from the start but anyway and this was kind of my fun articles before I move on to the next topic that is a little more uh, fun sort of stuff compared to all the coronavirus and purely political stuff but you might have remembered that incident of the white woman versus the black uh, guy and the dog walking incident and so the uh, anyway, I'll read the story to get your your updates, as it says. <clears throat> Christian Cooper told the New York Times that he doesn't want Amy Cooper to be charged and that he won't co cooperate with Manhattan DA. On the other hand, she's already paid a step steep price. Cooper said, "There's not enough of a different to others." Amy Cooper, the white woman who called the police called the police after a black man asked her to keep her dog on the leash. By the way, this was nicknamed the Battle of the Two Karens, so I'll, I'll mention that real quickly. The New York Times reports that Cooper, who was filmed by Christian Cooper, so <laughs> that's not going to get in the ramble at Central Park, where it is against the rules to have dogs off a leash, will face misdemeanor charges. Christian Cooper was the area bird watcher, and when he approached her re requesting she put her dog on a le leash, she threatened to call the police. In the video, she told the police via phone that she was being threatened by an African-American man. Today, our police in 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 the police initiated a prosecution of Amy Cooper for falsely reporting the incident in the third degree said Manhattan District Attorney Curtis Y. Vince, or Curtis R. Vince. We are strongly committed to holding preparations of this contact accountable. The incident inspired the New York Governor Andrew Cuomo, and he's a fashionable guy, was Andrew Cuomo to authorize a bill that would make hate that would make it a hate crime to call 911 and cite a false accusation due to race ginger ginger our our religion 
Shortly after the video went viral, Amy Cooper was fired from her job and surrounded and surrendered ownership of her dog. At one point in the video, Christian Cooper accused her dog of tearing through the plant plantings. And then he, and when he approached her her with the dog treat, she screamed at him and told him not to come closer to her dog. The clip was recorded on Memorial Day, the same week as George Floyd's death, at the hands of the police provoked protests across the community. So again, this was more the battle of the two Karens. You obviously had the woman who was walking her dog without a leash at the innocent. And then this black man, or African-American man as she called him, comes closer to him saying, Hey, you you're, have your dog off the leash. You need to put him on a leash due to rules. And then when she said no, he then took out treats. And said, here, here, you know, here, here, come on, come on. Trying to get the dog to, to come to him or to come closer to him. And obviously the dog was like, no. Or, oh, sorry. Obviously the dog was like, yeah, treats. I want the treats. And she was like, hey, stop. You don't want the, you stop. You can't ha take my dog. So obviously he started peacefully, you could argue. But then he escalated the situation himself. But at the same time, she kind of filed an incident that really shouldn't have been uh, filed in the first place. So this whole issue was just kind of funny. And I thought I would read it and kind of mention it as an update to what had previously happened. And you might remember as it's a, kind of a funny situation. And uh, Ron says, the Democrats are the ones Biden's. Biden's tough on crime bill who passed all of the legislation that feminizes the black community more in the drug war. They hate minorities. Yeah, that's kind of the real big thing. And I want to make a video on uh, justice reform as a whole topic and a podcast as I'm doing now, but just on that topic, as I mentioned on the start of today's episode and uh, podcast about that I want to do individualized topics where I go in depth and kind of talk about them out loud. And justice reform is one of those issues because a lot of times Democrats uh, try to pass legislation that allows for blacks to have more fair uh, crimes or less uh, crimes against drugs or other things. But at the same time, they were the ones that kind of put this legislation up in the first place or largely put it up in the first place according to history and mainly as Ron mentioned with Joe Biden. And then Ron says, never approach or give treats to another person's dog without their permission. That is a huge no-no. See, that's the thing about this, uh, this uh, whole battle of the Karens also in this story is uh, the guy that wasn't necessarily in the right either, nor was she. So at the, the, the fact that the police report got filed against her and not necessarily the main guy doesn't really make too much sense either because they're kind of both at fault, hence the situation and what happened. But the fact that he doesn't want to release charges against her kind of makes me think that he knows that as well because he was also the Karen of this situation. So it's just kind of a rather funny incident. But I've never had uh, dogs myself, or, or, but I know many neighbors who have had dogs and other people I know through friends and stuff who have dogs. And that is a big no-no as Ron was talking about. And I was going to quickly show this tweet as well as it says Don Lennon started talking over Terry Crews real quick once it became clear that Crews was going to mention BLM's real agenda. So obviously... You had the whole incident with Don Lennon. Oh, sorry. Uh, the Black Lives Matter. Oh, sorry. Uh, the Black Lives Matter. Oh, sorry. Uh, the Black Lives Matter. Oh, sorry. Uh, the Black Lives Matter.
you had the whole incident of Terry Crews and uh, Don Linham. So Don Linham is an anchor on CNN, and Terry Crews is not an anchor on CNN, but he is a black activist. But he, in large part, is somebody that that tells a lot of what's on his mind and more the way he sees it. And he's not the typical black celebrity that views Black Lives Matter and everything they say to be 100% truthful. Since the the quote of uh, what was mentioned above. So instead of me just blabbering on, I was going to play this Twitter uh, post to you as well. And we'll go from there. person you're writing things out there you know you're going to get backlash you know people are going to respond to what you're saying on twitter so i just i don't think you should be surprised by that i you know i have a, a skin that's tough as an armadillo because of what i do and i think maybe you should adapt that but here's here's what i have to say um the black lives matter movement was started because it was talking about police brutality if you want an all black lives matter movement that talks about gun violence in communities including you know black communities then start that movement with that name. But that's not what Black Lives Matter is about. It's not an all-encompassing. So if you're talking about, um, if, if someone started a movement that said, uh, cancer matters, and then someone comes in and says, why aren't you talking about HIV? It's not the same thing. We're talking about cancer. So the Black Lives Matter movement is about police brutality and injustice in that manner, not about what's happening in black neighborhoods. If you, true, there man. are people who that's are working true. on that issue and if you want to start that issue, why don't you start it? Do you understand what I'm saying? But when you look, but when you look at the organization, police brutality is not the only thing they're talking about. I know that, but I, I agree, not, but that's not I, what the Black Lives Matter movement is about, Jerry. Black Lives Matter is about police brutality and about, and about criminal justice. It's not about what happens in, in communities when it comes to crime black on black crime people who live near each other black people kill each other same as whites 80 some percent of white people are killed by white people true. because of proximity Very true. it's the same thing with black people but it happens in every single I neighborhood but that isn't again i'm not saying that's not important that those 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 kids die but it's a different movement So that was the whole thing with Don Lidham and obviously Ron Helton kind of says the same thing in the comments and I'll get to that as well but I thought I would quickly mention this comment on uh, Twitter as it's one of the top comments that is shown in this whole reply uh, thread, you could call it, on Twitter. And he says, why even do the interview if you're not going to let the man talk? And that's in reference to Don Lennon, obviously. As Don Lennon is obviously somebody who likes to have different people on, more mainly different people relating to what he already believes. But he's somebody who I've watched somewhat and I used to watch a lot more but he's kind of gotten more on my nerves uh lately is he likes to just talk and say the points that he wants to talk about regardless of what the other person is saying and Ron says Lennon is a terrible interviewer he initially tried to down drown out Terry that's the thing is as Terry was talking he just kept talking over him just to say what he already believed and obviously this is just kind of yucky and, and gross and a clear demonstration of uh, of what he, Don Lennon, views Black Lives Matter and what they try to show on a more political spectrum. 
and what they showed to everybody else and you could say the general audience. While Terry Crews was more going to give his view, yet in this clip, and I played the whole thing so you could understand the whole thing and didn't think I was cutting anything out, was the fact that Don Lennon didn't let uh, Terry speak at all about what he viewed the Black Lives Matter in being. And I just thought that was kind of a clear demonstration of, again, mass media wanting to control the narrative fully in what they want to see and what they want to hear and not let anyone else's opinions, even if they are a main celebrity and somebody with a differing opinion. My next topic is more on sports and celebrities, as I mentioned in my introduction to the podcast. And a lot of celebrities use their platform, but a lot of people in uh, sports also use their platform for activism and other things relating to it. And, And you obviously probably can think of one person's name before I even say it out loud and get to the article about him. Of somebody especially in sports that has made activism one of his big issues and I don't even probably have to say the sport he is in to name that person in your head right away. But I thought I would first mention this article by Pro Football Talk and NBC Sports as it says report NFL to play black national anthem before season opens. The NFL will play Lift Every Voice and Sing, commonly known as the Black National Anthem, before every season opener, Jason Reed on ESPN reports. Stadiums will have someone perform Lift Every Voice and Sing before the Star Spangled Banner, according to Reed. Some players, as well as Texans coach Bill O'Brien, have already committed to knowing for the National Anthem. The NFL was considering other measures to recognize victims of police brutality during the upcoming season per read. The proposals including listing the names of victims on uniforms through helmet decals or jersey patches, an idea that would come in collaboration with the NFL Players Association. The NFL also may produce educational programs about victims, Reed adds. The lead hopes it demonstrates a genuine commitment to the public players and coaches and that the player voices continue to be heard, according to Reed's source. NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell admitted in a video last month that the lead was wrong for not listening to its players early and pledged alliance in the battle for social justice. Of course, a team signing free agent quarterback Colin Kaepernick likely would be seen as more of a show of faith than anything else the lead says or does. So again, the fact that the lead is wanting to to show activism in that way is something that I think would largely align how you stand politically if you like or disagree with a lot of other things in politics and within social. But a lot of people are somewhat annoyed with the NFL and other sports for activism being within their sport. In other words, sports for a lot of people is something that you're able to watch and kind of turn your mind off of. Sports gives you the opportunity to sit down on your couch, sit down on your bed, whatever else, and just kind of relax and watch the team you like or maybe a random sports team or a team you you may not be fans of, but at least be able to watch and kind of turn your mind off and think about sports and not think about what you have to do next or what's on your to-do list, what are your honeydews, what is your next job assignment, what is this, what is that, what is this, what is that, what is that, you know, the list goes on and on and on. And that's something that sports are given to do. 
And I know my grandpa was one of these people that got annoyed when players started to kneel during the national anthem because he viewed it as an outright disrespect to soldiers and other people who have served the country. He's, he's all for activism as a whole and for all that, but he doesn't think that activism should be in sports. So he decided he wasn't going to watch any NFL game from now on. And he hasn't watched NFL from now on. And he was a huge Cowboys fan. So the fact that he's even done it brings a personal example to someone that has a perspective like that. Now some people think that these athletes are brave in using their platform for activism. But the fact that the NFL as a whole organization wants to do things like these, I do think comes across as a little bit cheesy to most people. And they're trying to appeal activists, but not really trying to appeal the main people who watch their sport. And the main people who watch their sport are not racist and not people who are looking to, um, are not racist and looking to do that, but are people who are mainly wanting to turn off their minds and just watch sports for what sports is and not see this activism on their platform. You can use your platform outside of the game itself, but not during the game because that is a time for everybody to kind of relax. I think a lot of people kind of view their sports and how they watch it in that perspective. And Ron says, The only thing that BOM will accomplish with their protests is to make sure that the police there is not corrected. Police abuse is not limited to one race. This is planned failure. Then Ron says, that atheism, the anthem, sorry, the atheism, the anthem, the flag worshiping are 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 all from being brainwashed in public school system. Ranchers did not fight for a flag. They fought for liberty. Worship of any state is ideology. So I am not offended by any of those of those stunts. Just disappointed that anyone would think that this is correct. Approach to stop police abuse. Yeah, that's a big thing. You can I think that some people do agree with you, Ron, there. But I do think that the thing you said about brainwashing is very much true. Because you're taught in public school to kind of see the flag as something that is uh, representative for what America stands for. And at the same time, you may not think yourself that that's kind of what it stands for. And don't see it as what you call it, a uh, ideology. I mean, I'm getting tired. (laughs) You may not see it as the uh, opportunity that it's there for. But you could say that the the average people who watch sports are are brainwashed into believing that and I don't necessarily think you would be wrong but this next article is something that's always been a debate within the sports community and mainly the NFL football community and it is with the the Washington Redskins name so the owner Dan Schneider if I'm believe if I'm remembering right is the owner of the Redskins, and he has always been kind of a guy who's been stern for their name. It's almost every other year, if not every year, that there's some article that gets written that gets somewhat popular about how the Redskins' name needs to be changed due to its offensive uh, uh, name of the Redskins being related to uh, the Indians. And I'll read from the article. As it says, U.S. football team, the Washington Redskins, Announced on Friday, the team will undergo a thorough review of the team's name after the key sponsor as well as an investment firms and shareholders reviewed calls to change the moniker many view as a slur towards Native Americans. Team owner Dan Snyder, sorry Dan Snyder, I forget what I said now but wrong person, who, 
who had long resisted the campaign for a name change, said in a statement that the process allows the team to take into account only the proud tradition and history of the franchise, but also input from an alumni sponsors the football, the National Football League and local community. Shipping company FedEx asked for rebranding on Thursday as Nike pulled merchandise from the Washington, D.C.-based NFL team from its website. FedEx said in a statement untamed by U.S. TV sports channel ESPN, it has committed the, the, to, the name, to, to the team in Washington our request that the name be changed. The company paid $205 million to the Redskins for naming rights to the team's home stadium in Landover, Maryland in 1998 in a deal that runs through 2025. Frederick Smith, the chairman of FedEx CEO and president, owns a minority stake in the Redskins. Last week, FedEx, Nike, and PepsiO all received letters from a group of 87 investment firms that held more than $620 million in assets, requesting to end the business with the Redskins. The calls were motivated by racial justice protests following the killing of George Floyd in a letter to Nike. Many of us have raised the issue with Nike for years to little void, investors wrote. But in light of the Black Lives Matter movement that has focused the world's attention on centuries of systematic racism, we are witnessing a fresh outpouring of oppression to the team's name. Therefore, it is time for Nike to meet the magnetite of this movement to make their oppression to the racist team name clear to take tangible and meaningful steps to expert pressure on the team to cause using it. And that's kind of a, a, a interesting interesting thing too because as I mentioned earlier, it's almost every year or every other year that the Redskins controversy gets brought up again for the NFL team. And it's a name of a football team and obviously some people might see it as a slur but one of the big motives that I think of the Redskins wanting to change their name and their owner wanting to change their name is the potential of FedEx wanting to remove their sponsor and Nike wanting to remove their sponsor. Sorry, remove their sponsor. And all that money would simply just go away and therefore they wouldn't have as much uh, sponsors and simply money. So a lot of times in business and in other words, you just simply follow the money and through following the money you can see that the due to changing their name the Redskins would stay as a company much better than if they were to keep their name and lose all that sponsors and all their money so I think it's probably as simple as that and they're using George Floyd and all the activism of Black Lives Matter as a movement to push uh, for the name change as a alternative uh, point and make sure there's Okay, we are good there. And I'll read Juan's here. I live in Oklahoma. This is a Native American con- county. Con- country. Sorry. We have many different tribes in my area. I don't know one person who is red-skinned. The protest of a name is nonsense. Anybody who identifies as a red-skinned, please send me a picture of your red skin. I have a red skin when I sunburn. <laughs> Maybe they, they can just drop their profile of a Native warrior. The Braves only have a tomahawk for their icon. It doesn't really affect me either way. I just find it to be a bunch of nonsense. And I think a lot of people agree with you. I know one of my teachers in college uh, was a Redskins fan and lived in that area for a while when he was a kid. 
And he was kind of talking about how it's just a name and the people getting offended by a name is, seems rather silly to him. And you could kind of approach it as the same situation as a statue, as a lot of people see a statue just as a statue, as a lot of people see a name just as a name. But I would argue that a name doesn't even have as much as a meaning as a statue does, as a statue is a physical uh, representation rather than a name is just kind of something you, you can call yourself or call your business or whatever. And I do think that the idea of maybe changing the logo, as you mentioned with their baseball team, the Braves, is a rather interesting idea. And they might be able to keep their name as Redskins the same. But again, I think it's a rather silly thing from the start. And I think that the decision to change their name might have a little bit of Black Lives Matter and activism in that way in it. But at the same time, I think it could simply do to them wanting to change their name to fit their sponsor's uh, requirements so that they keep their money. And now this brings me to the Eagles' Deshaun Jackson says he doesn't hate Jewish community after posting the anti-Semitic message. Philadelphia Eagles wide receiver Deshaun Jackson said he has no hatred towards the Jewish community and insisted two separate statements of apology with a promise to do better. After he posted on social media Monday an anti-Semitic message that he attributed to Adolf Hitler and a moderation for the, for the Nation of Islam leader Louis Franklin. The Eagles on Tuesday responded by calling Jackson's post offensive and harmful and absolutely appalling and said the team would take appropriate action. Team owner Jeffrey Lurie and general manager Howie Roseman are Jewish. Jackson spoke with Lurie late Tuesday afternoon, a source told ESPN Tim McCance, with Lurie expressing deep disappointment in his player. Jackson expressed a desire to educate himself and work directly with the Jewish community, and a short time later, his camp contacted the rabbi at Shabbat, Young Ville, to discuss ways for Jackson to donate and work with the organization. The controversy spun out of Jackson's Instagram story on which he featured a quote that he attributed to Hitler that said, White Jews will blackmail America. They will export America. Their plan for the war domination won't work if the, if the mm -mm know who they are. And I did mm-mm because -mm I know Susan Wiki Wiki isn't necessarily going to uh, agree with that as a statement. But at the same time, freedom of speech. So you kind of know where that stands for and the word uh, of that relating to it and then he said he also shared two posts on Instagram on Saturday and on Monday expressing amelioration for Flankren who wrote anti-defamation lead and Southern Poverty Law Center have identified as an anti-semitic these posts have since been deleted we have spoken with right receiver Deshaun Jackson about his social media post, the Eagles said in a statement. Regardless of his intentions, the message he shared were offensive, harmful, and absolutely appalling. They have no place in our society and are co condoned or supported in any way by the organization. We are disappointed that we retired. Sorry, we are disappointed we are retroreited to Deshaun the importance of not only apologizing, but also using this platform to take action to promote unity, equality, and respect. We are commuting, commu 
continuing to evaluate the circumstances and will take appropriate action. We take these matters very seriously and are committed to continuing to have productive and meaningful conversations with Deshaun, as well as our players and staff, in order to educate, learn, and grow. And Ron says, just more virtual signaling. Those who act like they are offended are just being trying trying to stir up controversy where none exist. And again, virtual signaling has become very popular. And this article with Deshaun Jackson goes on and on and on and kind of says a lot of things. It's rather in-depth if you're a sports fan and, and kind of bored. You can read the whole thing. As again, it will be in my uh, description of my podcast and my YouTube channel and others. But that's kind of all I wanted to talk about there. But another thing I wanted to hint at is, one, a lot of things that your parents might tell you and gets a little bit repetitive within within that. But essentially, you have to be very careful what you post on social media because anything you post can essentially be found and uh, have a greater impact on your life. But especially if you're a celebrity or someone that's in a football league or in a national setting such as uh, NFL, you want to be extra careful what you post on your account that is directly related to you. And educating yourself is kind of the second point I want to talk about. Number two, after just being simply careful, is being able to educate yourself on certain issues. Google exists now, and Google is very one-sided in what articles pop up at first and other things and all that. You know, you have all your biases, but in general, you can look up anything you want on Google, especially when it's relating to educating yourself on an issue like this, on Jewish uh, communities and what they've gone through and be able to figure out a full detailed perspective of the community itself. And it's very easy to educate yourself on that as well as anything else. And you can even educate yourself on how Black Lives Matter has started, gun rights, you know, anything else. You can name anything and chances are you can at least educate yourself somewhat on Google and you even have peer-reviewed journals on Google Scholar and other things if you really want more detailed perspectives. So that's kind of all I wanted to talk about there. And then you I want to wanted to talk about the great old example of Colin Kaepernick with NFL and all the things he has done. And these are my last two articles that I'm going to bring up for today's podcast. As this one says, uh, former 49ers quarterback Colin Kaepernick stirs up controversy with July 4th Twitter post. Former San Francisco quarterback and Black Lives Matter activist Colin Kaepernick set off a social media firestorm Sunday with a Twitter post critical of the 4th of July holiday. On Twitter, Kaepernick posted, Black people have been dehumanized, brutalized, criminalized, plus terrorized by America for centuries and are expected to join your commemoration of independence while you enslaved our ancestors. We reject your celebration of white supremacy and look forward to liberation for all. This post has generated an avalanche of comments, both supportive and critical of his comments. Kaepernick has also been a polarizing figure ever since he took a knee while the 49ers during the national anthem to take a stand against police brutality and racial injustice in 2016. At the time, he was mostly alone. Politicians, team owners, and fellow players criticized him. Fans burned his jersey, and he was even booed even at home four years later. 
His protest is widely viewed as a present of the current Black Lives Matter movement. Even NFL Commissioner Roger Dell has apologized for players for not listening to them earlier. We, the National Football League, condemn racism with the systematic oppression of black people, Goodwell said in a video released Friday. We, the National Football League, admit we are wrong for not listening to NFL players earlier and encourage all to speak out and peacefully protest. We, the National Football League, believe Black Lives Matter. I personally protest with you and want to be part of much of the much-needed change in this country. And it goes on to talk about some of the motives for why Colin Kaepernick might have sent out his tweet. And obviously, you can read his tweet and figure out that there are many things wrong with it. And essentially, the biggest thing I could say with his tweet is simply, again, with educating yourself. You can educate yourself and find out that although some of America's history was bad through the ownership of slaves, it wasn't just a white ownership of slaves. There was also black owners who also owned slaves and African Americans who owned African American slaves. It wasn't just a one-way train. And it's a very important to learn and to be able to realize and all that all the things relating to it. Because being able to have a impact as Colin Kaepernick has had and have a social platform as Colin Kaepernick has had, it's very important you use it right. And I think that his tweet is is very much one-sided and I don't think makes things for the better, but rather stirs up even more of a uh, issue between both the peaceful protesters and the protesters that want a little bit more. But Colin Kaepernick has also done something a little bit more activism as well, and that is being related to him now announcing a partnership with Disney. And this partnership is uh, as defined on this ESPN article. Colin Kaepernick will be featured in an exclusive docu-series produced by ESM Films as a part of a first-look deal with the Walt Disney Company. The deal between Kaepernick's production arm, Raw Vision Media, and Disney was announced Monday. The partnership will focus on telling scripted and unscripted stories that will explore race, social injustice, and the quest for equality. It will also provide a platform to showcase the work of minority directors and producers. I am excited to announce the historic partnership with Disney across all of its platforms to evaluate black and brown directors, creators, storytellers, and producers, and to inspire the youth with compelling, authentic perspectives, Kaepernick said in a statement. I look forward to sharing the docuseries On My Life story, in addition to many other cultural impactful projects we are developing. Despite being expelled from the NFL since the 2016 season when he took a knee during the national anthem to protest police brutality and racial inequality, Kaepernick still wants to play. A person close to the former San Francisco 49ers quarterback told the Associated Press that Kaepernick is in excellent shape and ready to play, but he hasn't received any calls. Following the nationwide protest and aftermath of George Floyd's death, NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell apologized to players for not listening to their concerns. Kaepernick, who became the face of the Nike campaign in 2018, will work closely with the Undefeated, which is expanding its portfolio across Disney to develop stories from the perspective of black and brown communities.
His deal with the Walt Disney Company will extend across all Disney platforms, including Walt Disney Television, ESPN, Hulu, Pixar, and The Undefeated. During its during this unforeseen time, the Walt Disney Company remains committed to creating diverse, inclusive content that retrocesses and matters, said Bob Iger, Disney Executive Chairman. Colin experiments Collins' experience gives him unique perspective on the introspection of sports, culture, and race, which will undoubtedly create compelling stories that will educate, enlighten, and entertain, and we look forward to working with him on this important collaboration. The docuseries chronicling Kaepernick's journey in his last five years is the first project in development. The series will include new interviews interviews, and other never-seen-before elements as part of the docuseries. Jamal Hill, who previously worked for ESPN and Undefeated, is a producer on the project. Developing exponential storytelling told through a wide array of voices is the core of who we are at ESPN, ESPN President Jimmy Patrio, Pat, Patrio said. Colin has had a similar path as both an athlete and an activist. And as the nation continues to confront racism and social injustice, it feels practically relevant to hear Colin's voice on his evolution and motivations. So that was what Colin Kaepernick is teaming up with Disney. And obviously we don't know what it's all going to be about, But I would be very careful to not make it fully a propaganda type of uh, media uh, expansion for Kaepernick. Because if the documentary is well done and shares interviews and isn't just completely one-sided and more of a factual based, I do think that it could be a rather good version of Colin Kaepernick and what he wants to do. But at the same time, I don't know if Kaepernick is being truly honest with everyone. Because at one point, Colin Kaepernick had uh, a workout opportunity with many of the uh, managers and scouts. And many scouts of major teams were willing to watch Kaepernick in his workout that he organized with some other players. And at the last minute, Kaepernick changed the venues of where this was being done. And at that point, some scouts decided not to show up because they were a little bit aggravated. But some scouts still did show up at Kaepernick's workout. But the workout wasn't necessarily what the scouts wanted to see. It was more an activist as Kaepernick had a shirt of a someone of being a political activist as well. And many other things. And didn't really seem to take the workout as seriously as the scouts wanted to see. Therefore, he didn't get hired by any other team. So I'm not sure if Kaepernick is being 100% honest if he's wanting to fully play as an NFL quarterback but rather trying to make people believe he might want to to boost up his status on Twitter and other things of being simply an activist. Because I think at this point, Kaepernick's main goal is to be an activist for the Black Lives Matter movement and share what he wants to view of the black community out to everybody through his perspective and through activism in his way. So that's all of the articles I wanted to talk about here. And I hope you liked what you had to hear on my first podcast uh, 
with with everybody and i hope everybody enjoyed the breakdown with birkenoff and i'll have my next podcast episode out next week as well and as i said at the beginning all these podcasts are live streamed on my twitch which is roundtable talk my d live and youtube at roundtable decision i appreciate you ron and ludwig and uh ed for stopping by on my comments and i and sharing what you have to believe with the issues i talked about today it greatly helps and i really appreciate it but before i end all i quickly wanted to mention freedom scoop again if you like the content you had to hear on this podcast today and you want to hear someone else and maybe listen to them as well i would highly suggest you going to freedomscoop.com where you can listen to ed you can listen to generational gap steven and they all have shows where what kind of are similar to this one but also a little bit different with Stephen doing a lot of interviews and being on different podcast channels as of late. So I hope you enjoyed all of the discussion here and see you with the next one.